Welcome to Animalia, a podcast all about making it easy and inclusive to learn about this big, beautiful planet, the life we share it with, and how to protect it. This is the five-minute summary version of our episode about the biodiversity crisis, how deeply interwoven it is with climate and social justice issues, and how an anthropologist views this topic. If you're interested in this short version, please go ahead and listen to the full episode. When we talk about the biodiversity crisis, we're really talking about ecosystem collapse. The natural world is one of an infinite series of links and interdependencies, many of which are still unknown to us today. However, we know enough of them to understand their importance and the threat posed to these ecosystems as we remove those different links. Those links range from geological shifts to parasitic organisms, to plant species, to ungulate species, to apex predators, to humans, and everything in between. These ecosystems are critical not only for our food supply, our water quality, preventing disease outbreaks, and the air we breathe, but they also serve as critical carbon sinks. As much as 25 to 30% of our emissions annually are naturally sequestered by our oceans, our soil, our forests, and our plant and animal life. That's a big deal. In terms of human behavior, what is leading to this biodiversity collapse and what can we do to protect it? Well, what better way to look at this than through the lens of human culture and development? with an anthropologist, of course. Joining us today is environmental anthropologist Eduardo Brandizio from Indiana University. He's also a member of the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, otherwise known as IPBES, dedicated to furthering the conservation and sustainable use of biodiversity for long-term human well-being and ecosystem health the foundations of many things that we do and the quality of life that we have, the the economy of local communities and so forth depend on ecosystems and depend on the food chains that are connected, right? From the smallest level to the largest level in which coral reefs play a huge role, right? So it's a a great example of how much, you know, biodiversity you can think about is like the foundations of a house. Right? You have all those different kinds of bricks and rocks that create that foundation. And what's happening is that we're taking a rock at the time. And while the, you know, the house is still there, we're making much weaker. Right? And the, the foundations of this house is much weaker. But I want to take this opportunity actually to make a, a broader point, which is the fact that biodiversity and climate are indivisible. And I, I think it was, it's going to still take some time for us to understand that, you know, we're treating these problems, of course, on their own merits and because they involve very complex political, economic, you know, and governance issues. But they are completely interdependent. You cannot deal with biodiversity issues without now dealing with the climate and, of course, many more human forces, as we can talk about, you know, the, the main drivers of biodiversity today as we rank them. You know, it's land use and sea use change, direct extraction of resources. Uh, then the third major driver is climate change and then pollution and invasive species, right? So you have climate is a, a huge driver today, and, but also other drivers. So it's indivisible. The, the, the coral bleach is a good example because it shows the cascading effect of these problems, right? So you have uh, ocean acidification, which is related, you know, largely with concentration of carbon and, and of course, with climate uh, and with emissions. 
Um, then you have, of course, ocean pollution, which is another major factor that contributes in some region to this problem. You know, today we control as humans a lot of the nitrogen cycle, a lot of the phosphorus cycles, and, 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 and other features. All those processes interact and are affecting, for instance, coral reefs. But the point that I, I think is a good one, and coral reefs, if, if coral reefs are, are a good example, it shows how much biodiversity and climate are indivisible. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the transformation of coral reef has to do with, with climate change, ocean acidification, with pressure over coral reefs, with pollution, and so forth. So it makes all part of the same equation. It's really critical that we don't separate climate and biodiversity as two different issues that force us to prioritize one over the other or divert funding one over the other. The crisis of one directly compounds the crisis of the other, and they are both existential threats to our own existence. One of the challenges in creating more momentum around the biodiversity collapse we are seeing, as many as one million plant and animal species are facing extinction today, is the underlying complexity behind it. Biodiversity, if you think about, you know, from a single issue causing the ozone layer to this complex economy and you know biophysics causing climate change, you know, to biodiversity, that even makes it much more complex because it has much more directly to do with our values, our economic choices, our different views of nature. So it's it's an issue that really challenges us to think in terms of collective action across a large scale, where we think very differently, you know. We have very different values and countries have very different political interests and arrangements and so forth. So, so that scale of complexity makes, you know, I think creates the situation that we have today. Oh, now we have, you know, all our, our cards on the climate, but, you know, underlying the climate, you have this cross-cutting issue of nature and biodiversity. Eduardo and I spent a lot of time discussing solutions in the second half of the full episode. At one point he makes that is worth sharing here is a watch out for the way we sometimes protect wild ecosystems or indigenous cultures in a sort of isolating way versus integrating them into our larger systems. We have made huge advances since the last 10 years in implementation of protected areas. Okay, so that has been a major step forward in 10 years. We basically reached some of the goals that were set in 2011 you know, for about 17% of the terrestrial surface to be protected. And don't remember about 10% of the oceans. And we're almost there. So we made great success. What are some of the issues now? Um, many of these areas that we're protecting are surrounded by pressures. So they're not integrated into the larger management of the larger environment. So you have successful protected areas very successfully governed indigenous areas that are becoming islands of conservation of biodiversity and cultural diversity. So, you know, it's important that we keep moving forward from protecting species to integrating that protection as part of our larger system of planning and use and, you know, land use and, and so forth. There's a lot more on all of this in the full episode. So if you get a chance, I really encourage you to check it out. As always, thank you for supporting Animalia, this big, beautiful planet, and all the incredible life on it.